Well, today uh, we're going to start a new teaching series on the book of Galatians. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, go ahead and grab that and, and you can turn there. We're going to be in chapters 1 and 2 today. Um, we had one more song planned, and after that last song, I felt like the Lord's like, it's time to preach. Get, go for it. So, all right. So uh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, as you're turning to Galatians and finding that, um, I want you to imagine with me that you were in the desert, you'd been there for many days, you've run out of water, you're dying of thirst, and I stumble upon you, I have a canteen, I've got water, and you're like, salvation, right? And so I go to give you the water, you're unscrewing the lid, and as you're unscrewing it, I say, now, I just, just so you know, I just want you to be aware, um, you know, you're probably fine, but um, on my way to you, I stepped in some kind of bear scat or something, I don't know animal dung, feces, fecal matter, you know what I'm saying? And I got some on my shoe, and I was cleaning it off. I got a little on my hand, and then I was filling up the canteen. I think a little bit got in the canteen, all right? But it's dissolved. As you can see, it's perfectly clear, totally fine. Just wanted you to know, though, because that's on my conscience. So, so drink up. Save your life, right? Do you want that water now? Some of you are like, well, I mean, if you're dying of thirst, and Bear Grill drinks his own, so I don't, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know. If I'm in that situation, I'm like, you just ruined it. What? Just don't tell me, right? Why is that? Because purity matters. Doesn't matter if it's just a little bit, right? Purity matters. If you want water, but there's a little, little bit of stuff in it, you don't want that water anymore. Why? Because purity matters. Did you know millions of people die every day across the world because of polluted drinking water? Many of them hike miles to go find it. And as they're getting it, it looks clear. It looks clean. But there's these little bacteria in it that make it dirty. They can't even see it. It's so little. And so they drink this water. Millions of people every year die from polluted drinking water. Why? Because purity matters. I want you to imagine now that you are dying of a terminal illness. And that I have an eight ounce bottle of the cure medicine. But the catch is with this cure, you have to drink the whole bottle, the whole eight ounces. Now, let's say maybe I'm either ignorant or I think maybe it's not quite true. And so I want to help more people or maybe make more money if I sell this cure. And so I pour this eight ounces into a five gallon bucket of water and I dilute it and then I divide that up into eight ounce bottles and then I give that out and you drink that solution perhaps very hopefully and what happens nothing you die because you needed the whole eight ounces why because purity matters A.W. Tozer once famously said, Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it would not cure anyone. Now, he said that in America in the 1940s, the heyday of Billy Graham. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to all the churches in the region of Galatia. It's not one city, it's a region just north of the Mediterranean Sea. It's what we call modern-day Turkey. 
And he wrote them this letter um, because they were being given. They started with the pure gospel of Jesus. They were saved. As we'll see probably next week, they were experiencing miracles, signs, wonders, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But over the next few years, some preachers and teachers came in who began giving them a polluted and diluted gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to get the purity of the gospel back into this church. It's what they were experiencing what Paul called a perverted gospel. You'll see as we read chapter one in a minute. It's what he called a perverted gospel. The word to pervert in the verb form. To pervert means to alter something from its original course, meaning, or state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. I'm going to read that one more time. To alter something from its original course, meaning, or state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. I think the great problem that we have here in America today is not getting people to quote unquote believe in Jesus because apparently according to statistics over 50% of the American population quote unquote believe in Jesus as savior and yet we are seeing the worst social problems that we've ever seen in American history the problem we have is the Jesus that the church in America is believing in has been perverted. It's not, he's not the Jesus that is presented in scripture. And so the gospel being preached in many churches is perverted. It's altered from its original state, distorted, corrupted. It's been diluted and diminished to the point that it's not being effective because the culture in America is becoming increasingly corrupt. It's, it's as corrupt as it's ever been. The wicked are freely strutting about because what is vile is being honored among men. We're calling evil good and good evil. We've reached that point. And we can't blame the culture Because over 50% of the culture claims to be Christians, which means the salt has lost its saltiness. Salt is meant to preserve flavor, preserve meat, rather, preserve it from being corrupted. And it's meant to change the flavor. It's meant to do both. And so if the culture is not being preserved, and if the flavor doesn't taste good to God, then it's not the culture's issue it's not the culture's problem it's the church's problem we have our light on Sundays but then we go out there and hide it under a bowl and so as William Wood says I don't think we have a darkness problem in America I think we have a light problem because the light shines in the darkness but the darkness cannot overcome it So we don't have a darkness problem in America. We have a light problem. We have a light problem because a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of churches are believing a perverted gospel, a polluted gospel, a diluted gospel. And so Paul writes this letter 
to the church in Galatia because this is good news for us today. They had the same problems in the first century. In fact, many of the same exact social problems we're facing they had in the first century. And so I read Galatians a few months ago and and the Lord was speaking to me personally through it. And then he said, I want you to do this in church here in a short time. I said, okay, and and today's the day. And so I want to read Galatians 1 and 2, the first two chapters. And then I'll just want to preach this message. And I hope that through this message today, we can help purify the gospel. Because if we purify the gospel, oh my goodness. When you believe in the pure gospel, the pure Jesus, that's where transformation happens. Life change happens. And so, and so let me just, just, just throw a question out there. If you've been coming to church for a while, maybe your whole life, but you find in your life a lot of the same problems and issues that your unsaved friends have, perhaps, perhaps, it's because the gospel's been polluted or diluted in your own heart. Because there are many precious promises in scripture of what Jesus wants to do for us. And if we're not experiencing them, it's not God's problem. There's something, there's something up with us that we need to re-examine. Amen? And so we need to re-examine what we're believing about God. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. So let's dive in. Galatians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice how Paul's like, I'm opening this letter with the gospel. Grace and peace to you from Jesus who saved us from our sins, this present evil age. You need to know that it's not just your sins you need to worry about. You need to be aware of what's going on in the culture around you. You need to make sure that you're not justifying in your heart and in your life things that the culture says are not sins, but God's word says are sins. And so in your heart, you're saying, oh, no, this is totally fine. But the Lord Jesus is going, no, that's not totally fine. And so Paul's opening up like, hey, this is the gospel. Listen to what he says. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one. KJV says you're leaving him. You're leaving Jesus. You're deserting Jesus. I'm I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Jesus who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Look at your neighbor and tell him different gospel. Which is really... No gospel at all. The word gospel means good news. So they're believing a different gospel, a different quote unquote good news. And Paul says, that ain't good news. But that's what you're believing. And by believing this, you're leaving Jesus. Evidently, what he's saying here is, I hear these reports about what's going on. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
Woo! I feel this so strong. But even if we, the apostle Paul, Peter, James, the other apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, it's easy to hear this in our culture and go, oh, he's talking about different religions. He's talking about Islam. He's talking about Buddha. He's talking about Hinduism. This, this like new age, the universe loves you crap, right? Let's just call it what it is. The universe doesn't give a rip about you because it's just matter. But there's a God who supersedes the universe, who created the universe, and he loves you. And you do matter. And so you can think thoughts to the universe all you want, and, and you're really probably engaging with the demonic entity if you're thinking thoughts to the universe, so good luck with that. Probably going to attract problems into your life. But there's a God in heaven who loves you and who created you. But Paul's not talking about different religions here. You have to understand these people that were throwing them into confusion were what we would call in our day Pharisee Christians. As he writes the rest of the book, you realize these were Jewish leaders and people who were coming and trying to get the church in Galatia to go back into Judaism. But here's the key, and here's what you have to understand. These were not the Pharisees that Jesus faced. Because so some of them might have been the same people, but it wasn't the same belief system. What do I mean by that? When the Pharisees were contending with Jesus, they did not believe in Jesus. It was a totally different belief system. We are rejecting Jesus as Messiah. And so they called him the devil. They said, it's by, it's by Beelzebub. It's by the devil you're driving out demons. And Jesus is like, that don't even make sense. <laughs> Kingdom divided. Can't, if, if the Satan's driving out Satan, then he's defeated. That don't even make sense. But if I drive them out by the power of God, then the kingdom of God really is among you. And if someone's sitting in our service, as a testimony I heard this past week, and their son, about 20 years old at the time, I think, maybe late teens at the time, is just sitting in church and feels a demonic force leave his body just by being in church. Hmm. Test the fruit. Test the fruit then the kingdom really is among you. And so let me ask, are some people throwing you into confusion, church, by what they're sharing on social media about our church, by what they're sharing on social media about ways of believing? Oh, that church in the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything anymore. <laughs> Stay away from that church. They paint the ceilings black. <laughs> black is the devil's color. Drums are the devil's instrument. Hmm. Are some people throwing you into confusion? Because that's what was happening to them. And here's what you have to understand. Acts chapter 6 says after Acts chapter 6, the installation of the deacons, so to speak, it says, and then 
the word of God spread, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A large number of priests, a large number of Pharisees became obedient to the faith. A whole lot of Pharisees finally believed that Jesus was Messiah. That's cool. I heard a testimony. I think it was a guy named Perry Stone. Some of you might know who that Bible teacher is, but he said he had some friends who were Christian leaders. I believe it was in Syria, severely persecuted. But the church was expanding and growing. They came over to America. They began raising their children in America. And he touched base with them several years later. He said, how are you doing? They said, pray for us. They said, it was easier to stay faithful to Christ in Syria where we were severely persecuted. And now we're in California and our kids are growing up in the, in the, in the atmosphere of America. And they're getting addicted to pornography. And, and they're, not, they're not persecuted. They're not trying to be killed because they're Christians anymore. And they have access to all these things now. And he said, pray for us. Because it's harder to stay faithful to Jesus here where we have total freedom, where we can do whatever we want. It's harder. Because when everybody's coming to kill you, it pushes you into him even more. Well, a whole lot of Pharisees get saved. Paul starts churches in Galatia, the region of Galatia. They just believe the simple, pure, awesome gospel of Jesus. And he moves on. And some of these Pharisee Christians come down to these churches and they go, yeah, hey, we believe in Jesus too. We're Christians too. So they claim Jesus as Lord. But they say, now in order to to be saved, you still have to go back and become Jewish. In other words, to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. This was a major issue in the early church. Major issue. This is what Acts chapter 15 is all about. Go read Acts 15 this week. That's what it's all about. Major, major issue. Do you have to become Jewish first and then be able to be saved by believing in Jesus? And they have this big council and they decide, no, you don't. And Paul and the other apostles agree, no, you don't. You can just believe in Jesus. You don't. Jesus nailed the Old Testament law to the cross. You don't have to go through it anymore. You don't have to get circumcised. And so these Pharisees come down and they're saying, oh, no, 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 you do. You do. Some of you thought it was hard to leave the church you grew up in. To step into a a new type of church or just another church that God was leading you to. Can you imagine growing up Jewish where you, you celebrate these seven festivals a year? where you do all these sacrifices, where you go through all this stuff. And listen, if you don't, you're not, quote unquote, right with God, and you'll go to hell. That's what that meant. And then Jesus comes along and is like, nope, everything's clean now. You can eat whatever you want. What did he say? They, they asked him, why, why do you, we fast, but your guys don't fast? Right? <laughs> Any of you ever been called to a season of fasting? And then you talk to some other, you're like, why aren't you fasting? I'm like, I just don't, I don't feel called to it. God's doing miracles in my life. I'm not even fasting. And you're like, God, what the heck, man? Why you got me fasting over here? And they don't have to fast. And Jesus said, oh, they'll fast once I'm gone. How can they fast while I'm here? <laughs> the bridegroom's with them. But then he says that little thing about the wineskin. 
He says, nobody sews an old patch on a, on an old, or a new patch on an old wineskin. It'll, it'll burst. But there's a new wineskin for new wine. He's like, hey, this whole Old Testament system, it's going away because he fulfilled it all. And he set it aside, Hebrews says, to establish the second better covenant, which is the covenant of his blood, which is the covenant of the spirit of grace of Jesus. So now we don't, quote, unquote, have to follow the whole 613 Old Testament Jewish laws. Praise the Lord Jesus. If you had bacon this morning, you better be thankful to Jesus. Couldn't eat bacon, couldn't eat pigs under Old Testament law, right? So he nailed it all to the cross. It's a free gift. He just preaches the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. People come to faith. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. But then these guys come and go, hold up. No, see, that's, sorry, sorry to tell you this. That's not good enough. You know, Abraham, see, look, it's in the Bible. God said covenant. You have to get, all your men have to get circumcised to be right with God. And Paul gets ticked off. He gets ticked off. If, read Galatians. Read the whole book. He uses the strongest language in scripture. He says, as for those mutilated, this is Paul who grew up Jewish, who got circumcised to be right with God because he did that before Jesus. Because he had to, to be right with God. He grew up old covenant during the old covenant. And then Jesus gets nailed to a cross, rises from the dead. He's like, oh, that's, that's all not true. Then Jesus appears to him and goes, it is true. Oh, crap, I'm wrong. Pharisee of Pharisees. If anyone would know, if you have to be Jewish to be Christian, it's Paul. If anyone would know if circumcision of the flesh is still important, it's Paul, who is circumcised. And you know what he says to him? As, this is later on in Galatians. As for those mutilators of the flesh, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Circumcision is just cutting off the foreskin. He's saying, I wish they would go cut the whole thing off. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. The Holy... That is the passion and zeal of the Holy Spirit of Jesus going, no, I want you to write this. Why was Jesus so passionate? Why was the Father so passionate that he's like, Paul, Paul's like, I'm feeling this. Oh, that's my flesh. I better back. No, 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 don't write that down. Don't write that down. He's probably dictating the letter. And you know what? I wish they would go, oh, no, no, ain't going to say it. Ain't going to say it. Mm-mm. And the Holy Spirit goes, no, say it. Why is that? Because it's adding to the death and the blood of Jesus to get salvation. It's adding to it. It's adding something that God says any righteous work apart from Jesus is as a filthy rag. That's in Isaiah Old Testament. The word filthy rag is a nice translation. The actual <laughs> translation is a menstrual cloth. Used one. All our righteous acts are like used tampons when we offer them to God and go, look what I did. Please forgive me of my other bad stuff so I can go to heaven. So let's say I take a used tampon. This isn't in my notes, by the way. 
and put it in a glass of water and say, drink up, this will save you. You want that? No, it pollutes it because you're adding to it. Jesus is so passionate. The Spirit is so passionate. The Father is so passionate. Paul is so passionate about not adding to the person and work of Jesus on that cross because it's an insult to his precious blood. The Father's up there going, are you kidding me? I gave the Son the fullness. The Old Testament was a shadow. The law were like rules that represented the nature of God. He gave the one who is the fullness of the nature of God. Lived a perfect life. And can you imagine the father whose son, he's in Gethsemane like, Father, if there's any other way, three times. And the father's like, we've talked about this. There's no other way. And he has to listen to Jesus beg him three times. And he goes, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. And Jesus goes to the cross, and on the cross, the Father is up there hearing Jesus say, Why have you forsaken me? The Father's heart's in agony. He's like, I'm sorry. As the temple veil is ripped in two, that's the Father's heart ripped in two, because this is the price for our salvation. And then he rises from the dead. Joy. Unspeakable. Jesus and the Father are like, thank us that that is over with. (laughs) Thank us that's over with. That was horrific. That was the worst thing we'll ever go through. Thank us it's over. And then some people go along and go, oh, that's nice that Jesus did that. Yeah, it's not good enough. You also have to cut off a piece of your body to make yourself right with God. What an insult to the blood of Jesus. Hmm. So then some people come along because that spirit is still alive and well today. The spirit of religion, the Pharisee spirit, because people have a hard time trusting the goodness of God. And they get fearful and they don't know the perfect love yet. So they're thinking, yeah, it sounds good, but I don't know. We better make up a bunch more rules. <laughs> Just to make sure we're safe. And so, you know, I know precious blood of Jesus, I, great, it's awesome. But, you know, um, you actually need to dress better to come to church. To be right with God. Could you guys, next time you come, cover up those tattoos? That'd be great. Because you may not be saved if you don't. And I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) What an offense to the blood of Jesus that if you dress better, you'll be right with God. That church says they preach Jesus. You heard that music. That music they play. It's a show. It's a show for the people who come and watch and make it a show but you're all invited to sing along. And we hope you do. And some of the same people who say it's a show will go to the Garth Brooks concert and sing their little precious heart out to worship Garth Brooks. But if they do that in church, it's a show. How many of you know you're not singing to me? 
And if you are, that's on you. Hmm. Are people throwing you into confusion? Hmm. What an offense. You know what my definition of legalism is? Making any rule that the Bible does not make. So if you say, and here's the key. We all have our cultures, right? We all have our cultures. Cultures are fine. Different ways of doing and believing are fine. But when the rule is required for salvation, if you don't dress the right way, if you don't have the right kind of music, it ain't a real church. You're not really saved. They're leading people astray. That's called legalism. That's not how we define what is of God or not. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. And there's a whole lot of churches today saying, well, it's a big one. It's the translation of the Bible in English. If it ain't KJV, it ain't the true word of God. I respect the KJV. I do. But it is an old, outdated language of English. And there's no verse in the Greek and Hebrew versions of the original scriptures that say we have to have the right translation of the scriptures to be right with God. What an offense to the blood of Jesus. I know you believed. I know Jesus died for you and shed his precious blood, but... When that preacher preached, he said, whoever believes will be saved. And he didn't say, whosoever believeth. So it doesn't count. What an offense to the blood of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know why they were doing it? Because the Jewish culture and the Pharisee culture was the majority. So now they get saved and they go, we love Jesus too, but we want you. They were the guys in power. They were the guys with the doctorate degrees. Power, status, influence. That's great. Yeah, we believe Jesus is Messiah, but you have to do all this too. Paul's like, are you trying to please people or are you trying to please God? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, verse 11, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For if Paul's saying, he's making a case here. I grew up Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the strictest. I was one of the top dogs in that whole system. I grew up at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the number one Pharisee teacher in his day and age. Paul was trained by him. Paul's Paul's basically saying, I know more than these Pharisees who are trying to get you to do other things. I know more than them. I, I preached it. I killed Christians. And I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. He's asserting his authority is what he's doing. Listen to what he, he said. I received the gospel straight from Jesus himself. For if you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church from God and tried to destroy it, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people and was extremely zealous for the traditions 
of my fathers. Everybody say traditions. Uh-huh. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, whoo. Paul was set apart from his mother's womb and called from his mother's womb. And yet, he, for a season, he appeared to be the biggest enemy of the church. Don't stop praying for the people that you view are enemies of Christ. Perhaps they were called from birth and their time has just not arrived yet. And so by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me, verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. By the way, this is a huge confirmation of the true gospel because Paul received it from Jesus, began preaching it, didn't even consult with the early apostles. Then when he went up to consult with them, they all said, yeah, we're all on the same page. So that's pretty awesome. And we ha- these are historical accounts, by the way. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God for, because of me. Chapter 2, you have to understand when this is written as one letter. They would have just read this in the church in one sitting. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers, everybody say false believers, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Mm, There's some people who've been spying on our church. I'm not, I've gotten emails. I've watched every one of your sermons. And then they dissect my sermons to tell me how wrong I am. Several emails. Several sermons. What are they, they're spying on my freedom in Christ. That's what they're doing. Oh, I didn't finish the verse. To spy on our freedom in Christ and make us slaves to legalism. To a spirit of religion. And if I'm coming under it, if you're a part of this church, you're going to come under it. We did not give in to them for a moment. (laughs) So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth of the gospel might be preserved. How many of you know, if you know the truth, it will set you free but what hey 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 but what it does not say is then you will know a half truth diluted polluted gospel because that can't set you free and our churches are filled with christians under a spirit of religion who are not circumcising their flesh anymore they're doing something far worse and i'm getting a week ahead of myself but they're circumcising the holy spirit from the body of christ and they're calling it a gospel 
and they wonder why they're still depressed and anxious and fearful because they're quenching the very one that could fully set them free because they do have demonic issues because they are demonically oppressed and they won't press in to the Holy Spirit for power and authority for deliverance because they believe lies and say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. One person asked me, why is the gospel not enough for you? Why you got to talk about this spiritual gifts? Why you got to give people false hope? Talk about miracles and healing. Why is the gospel not enough for you? I'll talk a lot more about that next week. Because the gospel is enough. The simple, pure gospel. But all that stuff is what the gospel purchased for us. It's not giving people false hope. It's just giving them hope. Period. And go read your Bible. Have you not read? That godliness has value in this life and in the life to come. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just to get into heaven. It's to get heaven in us. We don't have to just suffer through this life. And, and listen, this is, where they, this is where they twist it. Oh, you said you don't have to suffer as a Christian. <laughs> he said it. Get him, get him, get him, get him. Right there. You just said when there's no suffering in Christ. Now, let me tell you something. All who follow Jesus will suffer for him. And we get oppressed. We get sickly. We get oppressed. I would call that oppression. And I've discovered that the true gospel says we can pray. Jesus himself invites us to pray to make that stuff stop, to heal our bodies. His word, his word, not mine, says in James 5, if any of you is sick, call the leaders of the church, have them anoint you with oil and pray for you. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Did you hear what I said? No. Did you hear what the word said? The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The word of God says that. I didn't say that. So we're getting persecuted because I read my Bible and go, hey, let's just do that. Hey, guys, I I got a nice voice. People think I'm a woman on the phone and I'm super nice. And I'm like, hey, guys, if any of you are sick, just come on up front and we'll just anoint you with oil and pray for you. And the Lord will make you well because that's what he promises to do if you have faith. Well, you're just giving them false hope. You're telling them it will make them well. No, I didn't tell them that. The word of God told them that. So you want to stay in your unbelief and you want to criticize me for actually believing. See, people are throwing some of you into confusion. And the reason you're getting confused is not because of what the Bible says. It's because of what people say the Bible says. (laughs) And sometimes they don't even say what the Bible says. They just go, that ain't for today. That ain't for today. Really? We just had a woman get healed. <laughs> I don't know. 
some of those baptisms were not planned. They weren't planned. We just had people get saved. The Holy Spirit was moving and ministering. I ain't for tonight. I'm going to get through all this. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. It's so powerless because everybody's believing half truth, diluted, perverted, polluted gospels. And the truth has not been preserved. What's the truth? The Bible. Read what it says, believe it, and do it. That's it. Well, we didn't do that in the church I grew up in. Well, then the church you grew up in was wrong. And you need to repent and read your Bible and do what it says. Because I've had to do it. Oh, Jesus. As for those who were held in high esteem, what they were, whatever they were, makes no difference to me, Paul says. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Consider with me for just a moment the wisdom of the foolishness of God. Because we would think in our natural wisdom, hey, if you want to reach blue-collar fishermen, get a blue-collar fisherman. But he didn't. <laughs> We think in our wisdom, if you want to reach Pharisees of Pharisees who know everything about the Bible, who have doctor degrees, get somebody who's a Pharisee of a Pharisee with a doctor degree to go reach those guys. And he didn't. He picked the fishermen blue collars to be the apostles to the Jewish people to win the guys with the doctorate degrees in Bible. And he picked the guy with the doctorate degree in the Bible, the Pharisee of Pharisees, to reach the people who were blue collar, who knew nothing about the scriptures at all. Jeez, why would... God do that because who they were spoke to the weakness of the people they were trying to reach. And so the Pharisees of Pharisees were prideful and God said, get me some fishermen and I'm just going to start doing miracles. (laughs) And I'm going to confound the wisdom of the wise. (laughs) They'll learn. They'll get it. (laughs) Got to become like a child. (laughs) Oh, these Gentiles, they're really sinful. Oh, oh boy. They think you can just do whatever you want. Get me a Pharisee. (laughs) (laughs) Fill them with grace. Preach the grace. Now tell them they can't just live however they want. (laughs) And call them back to the purity. We're almost there. We're almost there. (sighs) For God, verse 8, chapter 2, who is at work and Peter, as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle of the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, listen to what Paul says. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, who were Pharisees, by the way, Pharisee Christians, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Everybody say afraid. Peter, the apostle, the great man of God, was afraid of the Pharisee Christians with the doctorate degrees. 
And so he began to act like he didn't eat with Gentiles, which was Old Testament tradition, Old Testament law. His Lord and Savior Jesus said, we don't do that. We eat with sinners. And he began to drift back into the old ways because he was afraid. Because your faith is not most tested when you're suffering. Whoo, it is tested. But it's most tested in seasons of prosperity. When you're in the majority. When people of power and fluence go, you're great. You're great. We're Christians too. Like us. We like you. Cool. Now do what we want. And so Peter began to come under their spell. But when they arrived... He drew back, verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Paul's sitting here going, red flag, red flag, warning, warning, warning. If we go start going back and separating from eating together, these new Gentile Christians are gonna think that you have to become Jewish to become Christian. They're gonna think you have to get circumcised. They're gonna think that you have to add to the precious blood of Jesus. And so, listen, very, very important to note, Peter was not a false prophet at this point. He was just drifting. He had a moment of weakness where he was given into some fear, where he didn't speak up and act courageously enough and go, I'm sorry, you new Pharisees who are Christians now with doctorate degrees. Sorry to tell you this, we eat with Gentiles. And hey, by the way, if you don't like it, there's the door, which is what he should have said, but he didn't. He goes, oh, okay, well, I just won't say anything. Ooh, the great tactic of the American church. Let's just not say anything. And then the worldly people will like us. And then the church gets discipled by the world because we just don't say anything. God help us. And so Paul rebukes the apostle Peter to his face in front of everyone He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, and quotation marks, the rest of the chapter is in quotation marks. The rest of this chapter is what Paul said to Peter in front of the whole church. (laughs) You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Peter, you're a church leader. You don't care what translation of the Bible You don't care what style of music. You don't care how people dress. But how come is it when, when, yeah, how come is it when when your conservative Pharisee Christian friends come along, all of a sudden you start going, yeah, no, 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 KGB, yeah, that's what I said, yeah. Yeah, drums, yeah, I don't like them either. Too loud, it's so loud. I don't know. I sit, I mean, my church has a but I sit in the back. Yeah, yeah. How is that? How is that? That you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Verse 15, still Paul rebuking Peter. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He's like, Peter, we tried that. It didn't work. And that's why Jesus had to come. We're not going to be justified by the works of the law. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really am a lawbreaker. Paul's like, if Jesus nailed the law to the cross and I'm trying to rebuild it, then I'm going to condemn myself as a sinner all over again. 
We can't do that. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing, Peter. Because Peter, why? Jockeying for who's the best apostle? Competition? No. Paul's like, I was that. I was the Pharisee of Pharisee, and I was wrong. I killed Christians, and he showed me grace, and I didn't do anything good to deserve it. It's only by grace through faith so that no one can boast. That's it. And if I start to even smell legalism I say get out no it's an offense to the blood of Jesus don't you dare do that to my Jesus that's what he's saying the gospel is being perverted and the situation is dire in America so what is the true gospel because to to tell the counterfeits you have to know the truth when people study counterfeit money to find it right they don't study the counterfeits they study the original so they can tell the counterfeits what is the gospel first corinthians 15 paul says now brothers and sisters i want to remind you the gospel i preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word i preached to you otherwise you believed in vain For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to a bunch of other people and finally to me last of all. That's the gospel. God gave his one and only perfect son for you to pay for the death you deserved. And he rose again, Jesus did, proving himself to be God and to have the authority to forgive sins. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. So how do you believe on Jesus for salvation? He, he, paid, he already paid for everyone's sins, past, present, and future. But that does not mean everyone will be saved. Why is that? Because God still honors your free will. It, it's a gift. You have to receive it. You have to choose. God has chosen everyone in the world. And he invites those and he chooses those for eternity who choose him back. That's how that works. Okay? So how do you choose him? How do you receive him by faith? You admit that you believe this is true. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord. Then the Bible says, get baptized in water, which is a pledge of your good conscience towards God, meaning the rest of my life, I'm going to do my best to live how you want me to live God, which means my life is not my own. I was bought with a price. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So if I'm saved then I'm going to live differently, not in my old selfish ways, but I'm going to live how God wants me to live. And if I don't live in the new ways, then it's evidence that I'm not really believing Jesus is Lord and there's a judgment day coming. There's two great, three great perversions in America today. I'm going to go through this super quick. You ready? I meant to spend most of my sermon on this, and this is the, we're going to get it in about three minutes. I got a little chart. Robin, please keep up with me. Here we go. We got the pure gospel in the middle. 
We got Jesus. It's the narrow way. It's called the narrow way for a reason. And to the right and to the left, we get perversions. Perverted gospels. We believe in Jesus, but, right? So on this side over here, we've got what I would call legalism, traditionalism. The biblical example is the Pharisees. What does, what does legalism or, or traditionalism believe? Actually, on this side, we've got the progressivism or liberalism. The biblical example is the Corinthians. Now back over here. What is legalism? It's high on truth, but it's low on grace. It adds rules or traditions to be right with God, and it pollutes the gospel because it's saying you have to do these things in addition to believing in Jesus, right? So what are the things? Old Testament law, tradition, circumcision. In our culture, dress, style of music, translation of the Bible. The day of, oh, if we don't have church on the right day, oh, we're not right with God right? Celebrating the right holidays. If we don't, if we don't, if we celebrate Easter instead of Passover, we're not saved. We're not right with God. Guys, there are Christians that get bound up in all this. So what does the scripture say to this form of a perverted gospel to bring us back to the true gospel? Here are the scriptures, and here's what the scripture would say. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Colossians 2, 15 and 16, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, because of the cross, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival the Jewish festivals is what he was talking about a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day don't let them judge you based on that stuff because it's only through the cross Galatians 4 10 and 11 you are observing special days and months and seasons and years I fear for you that I've somehow wasted my efforts on you. you're starting to go back into thinking that the that the, the only the right translation of the Bible will save you you're starting to think that if you don't celebrate Passover or the Jewish festivals that that, that you're not going to be right with God that's not what makes you right with God Galatians 5, 5, 1 and 2, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Wow. And in our day, people come under systems of religion. And they think, man, man, I know people who start out with the Holy Spirit. God saves them. He heals them. They get a fresh start. And then they start hearing from family friends. Well, that, well, that church ain't good enough. Well, that church does things the wrong way. And blah, blah, blah. Come under this spirit of religion. And it sucks the life out of their faith. And it quenches their faith. And then they just stop going to church because they get persecuted. And they don't, they don't know what, who to believe. And they get discouraged. You know who to believe? Your Bible. Jesus. Find a church that preaches Bible Jesus and, and, and go after God. Find your people and run with them. So on the other side, and you've heard me talk about this probably every other Sunday, we've got progressive Christianity. And guess what? They had it in the first century. Go read the, Corinthian, the books of First and Second Corinthians Paul says it's even re- reported that there's a form of sexual, sexual morality among you that's not even p- practiced in the culture. It's like, what are you guys doing? You can't do that. You're Christians, right? 
They were getting drunk on the communion wine at church. Paul's like, what? You can't do that. See, progressivism, liberalism is high on grace, but it's low on truth. Oh, the grace of God. God loves you. Jesus forgives you. Of every, he forgives all of us. So just live however you want. And now we have Christian celebrities saying, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's great. You know, Jesus would be the grand marshal at the pride parade every year. We have celebrities who don't go to church. They've pro- we have some celebrities who've never prayed a prayer or gotten baptized. We're like, you know, Jesus would do this. Jesus would do that. And because they're a celebrity and they have a platform and influence, lots of American Christians are listening to them. God's okay with it all. Is he? Did you read his word instead of watching the view? Good night. What would scripture say about that? Oh, and so what's that? What happens when you believe it's all grace? There's uh, truth doesn't really matter that much. All faiths are equally valid. Do you know a majority of Christians now in America believe all faiths or not all, some other faith than Christianity can lead you to heaven? A majority of Christians believe that now. So the cross doesn't matter? So Muhammad can save you? Buddha, Hinduism can save you? So the cross doesn't matter? Jesus died for nothing? Then what do we do? Why are we here? Majority of Christians now believe that. Majority of Christians now believe that living together with someone you're not married to, aka having sex with them, is okay as long as you plan to get married. Is that what the word of God says? A majority of Christians now believe that LGBT lifestyles are morally okay with God. Really? Is that what it says? And along with this line of thinking, if you keep going down that path, you reach this cliff, oh, there's just, there's no eternal judgment either, and we're all going to go to heaven. Love wins. Everybody goes to heaven. I've said before, there is a church that believes that. It's called the Unitarian Church. All faiths are valid. Just, just be nice to people. There's one that meets in Eastgate, and you can... If that's what you want, go there. But you will be going after teachers who are giving you what your itching ears want to hear, not the word of God. All faiths are not valid. Buddha can't save you. The universe can't save you. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we're saved. His name is Jesus. And Jesus did not leave room. Jesus did not leave room for you to believe that other faiths You think in Gethsemane, when he's bleeding, sweat, sweating, blood, if you came up and go, hey, can other faiths lead us to salvation? Because this whole cross thing looks kind of hard, and you said that we got to take up our cross, and, you know, the New Age thing looks pretty easy, actually. It's really all the same, right? What an offense to your Savior. Jesus didn't leave room for you to believe that if you claim him. And if you believe that, 
you're believing a perverted Jesus. And he can't save you because he's not the true Jesus. Because the true Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. So what are the scriptures that speak to this side that purify the gospel for us and pull us back? Well, there's a lot. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you know? That wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. God is not okay with you getting drunk on the weekends. He's just not okay with it. And it's hindering your faith. It's inviting demonic influences into your life which quench the Holy Spirit's work, and then you wonder why you don't feel like praying or reading the Bible, and it's because you're compromising your faith. I'm not saying having a sip or a drink of alcohol is wrong. What I am saying is stop getting drunk. Repent. That is what I'm saying. Because it says here in the word of God, drunkards, people who repeatedly get drunk, will not go to heaven. And that is what some of you were, he goes on. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by Jesus. Awesome. Well, he's really writing to people who don't know Jesus yet. No, because Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So what if you have some gay friends who think they can become Christians and still practice that lifestyle, and they ask you what you think, and you go, yeah, that's fine. And then they go to hell because they continue in known practice sin because you told them that you thought it was fine. What if that? And we will have to give an account on judgment day for every careless word we speak. What a careless way for a Christian to talk. What a careless way for a Christian to post. Careless. And I don't want to just pick on one form. What if your friend who's going to move in with their boyfriend? You think God's okay with that, right? I mean, we're planning on getting married. Yeah, I mean, that's what the majority of Christians now believe, so yeah, I guess it's okay. Really? You better ask Jesus about that one. Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace grace may increase? Paul was accused of giving people a license to sin because he preached grace so much. And listen to what he says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The moment you start using grace as a license to sin is the very moment that you become in danger of God's judgment again, whether you've prayed a prayer or gotten baptized or not. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. That's what it says. You think Jesus is okay with you going back to live in a lifestyle that the type of lifestyle that you lived put him, is what put him on the cross. You think he's okay with that? The scriptures are telling us God is not okay with that. It's an offense to the Father. It insults the spirit of grace. Whew, Jesus. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are designed to, destined to die once and after that face judgment, There's a judgment day coming, and every single one of us will stand before God for judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us 
for things done in the body, whether bad or good. I just, hey, we're not going to be judged. God loves everybody. It's all going to be fine. We're, we'll all go to heaven. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who, this is Jesus, by the way. I believe in Jesus, and we're all going to go to heaven because of his grace. He just loves us. Just do whatever you want. Jesus said, the real Jesus, the real Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who, one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What happens to those people? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 31 and 32 and verse 41, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Get back over here. They, they read that on the view? Did they read that on the view? You want to believe that? Did your, did your Christian celebrity, basketball playing, music bumping celebrity, did they quote those verses on their Instagram? Well, I just think abortion is a woman's choice. And so, yeah, it is a woman's choice that offends God. Because scientifically, it's not. Scientifically, it's not your body. It has its own unique DNA. Boom. Science says it's not your body. It is your choice, not your body. So what are you doing? You're killing a child that's dependent on you. Can you kill that child when they're two weeks old? California's trying to pass a bill that says you can. Why do we all go, ooh, well, that's not right? Because they're dependent on you. Oh, it's inside of you dependent on you. That's better. That's, that's better. So they can reach in there with forceps and pull them apart limb by limb and rip that child apart and kill it. That's okay? Well, they said on The View, and she said she believes in Jesus, so I don't know. That's just what I think. Well, my favorite Christian singer, who's like ultra famous, not like, not like worship leader, but like, you know, the ones that are famous, but they said they're a Christian. They, they talk about Jesus every now and then. They said that they think it's okay. Okay. Who are they? Who cares? Well, the guy on CNN said, he was a backslidden Baptist, but even he knew that Jesus is okay with all this stuff. I'm not backslidden, and it's hard enough for me to stay faithful to the truth. So I don't know if I would trust the reporter on CNN who admits he's a backslidden Baptist, who's not a preacher, who doesn't study the Bible, for your little tidbits on what Jesus thinks about your faith. Repent. Wake up, church. Read the Bible. Let's get back here. And there's one, for, one more form of perversion that I'll talk about next week. And it's probably the one that, I mean, if you're still here in this church, you've heard me talk about this and talk about this. You're still here, so you probably agree with me. I don't know. Some of you are wrestling. I see it on your face. You forget I can see your face. You're like, hmm. It's all right. 
My job is not to win you over. My job is to preach the truth, and you decide what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Um, There's one more perversion. This is the biggest one that if you go here, you're going to get accused of, and I have already been accused of it, and the Lord's telling me that will only increase, so yay us, right? Um, But it's that whole Holy Spirit thing. When I read Galatians about a month ago, the Lord said, read Galatians today. I was like, cool. And I dive in and start reading. I bumped into verse one, or not verse, chapter one there, where it says, they're preaching a different gospel, perverted gospel. It's really no gospel at all. And the Holy Spirit said very loudly to me, stop me. He said, Aaron, you will be hated. And I went, uh, okay. Thank you. Okay. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Lord? He goes, Aaron, this is what they're going to say about you. You're preaching a different gospel. I'm like, okay. He's like, keep reading. Keep reading. He's like, oh, by the way, I want you to preach on Galatians coming up. I'm like, okay, cool. So what about that Holy Spirit? Is he all done? And is, are we believing a different gospel? Because we talk about the Holy Spirit and we pray and we act as if we actually expect him to show up and do things? Is that a different gospel? Or did the guy who wrote this believe and practice all the things that we're taught? I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Don't treat those prophecies with contempt, but test them, which means you got to share them. What did they believe? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So you should come back, especially if you've been catching some flack from your family and friends for coming to church here. God, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your time with us today. I think, man, you flipped it around on us, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for saving people before the sermon. Thank you for baptisms. Thank you for healing. Thank you for deliverance during worship. And thank you for your word, which we are clean because of the word Jesus has spoken to us, because of his death on the cross, because of your resurrection. May we always only ever place our faith in that. And I praise you that the Holy Spirit gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit is just the fruit of what you've purchased on the cross for us. And you've poured it out here in a special way. And we say, yes, Lord. Amen. In Jesus name. Everybody said, amen.